The internet has changed. So should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. My name is Joe Devine, and today I'm delighted to be joined by two close friends, Seb Stafford Bloor. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Joe. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, taken aback by that. Okay. Yeah. Well, you Caught know. off guard. Mm. It's because it's not true. And Alex Stewart. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Fine. What shirt are you wearing today? Uh, this is an old Peru away shirt from the mid 90s. Okay. How many have you got? About 120. Too many. Too many. 120, that's insane. Have you bought it's them all yourself? a strange colour for a Peru away shirt because presumably if you had a clash, if they had a clash, they would need to do more than just invert their normal colours. Because presumably back then the, the the home would have just been white with it, the, the red sash. I've, I've got the home one as well, and it's yeah. it's exactly that. So that's red, and the rest of it's white. But uh, I mean, that's a fairly they're big block colours, aren't they? So I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. and red international football. There aren't that many teams that use red. Denmark, Switzerland. Denmark's yeah. sort of more maroon. Yeah, Russia, a bit of Croatia. Yeah, Croatia's the got the the Czech yeah. pattern, hasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I want to say more. Montenegro playing red although back in the mid 90s not so much of a problem <laughs> <than I thought. laughs> let's get into geopolitics anyway already. anyway anyway yeah. anyway. Uh, today's episode <laughs> is about uh, it's called sensible transfers not sensible sensible transfers if you listen to last week's episode you'll know the format if you didn't very quickly the format is you write in with your suggestions and questions uh, in the form of a team and a position on the pitch that you feel needs to be strengthened and uh, Alex and Seb take a look at those um, have a bit of time to do some research beforehand and then come ready with suggestions uh, to fill those roles asked in the question so we have a few today um, the first, oh, also I should say that this episode is supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. If you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, you'll get a seven-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription. Seb, do you know how much that works out to be uh, per I day? it's like nine pence it's a day. It's eight pence. Eight pence how many five. times? I'm getting close to those. Eight pence. The last time I was sort of, it, I, it was I, I went to 20 or 18 yeah. or something, so Ridic- I'm getting close. Ridiculously closer. expensive. No, it's eight p a day. How about that? Okay. Hmm? Do go and do that. Uh, the first uh, part of uh, today, the first question is from uh, Seamus McAuliffe. And also, I think versions of this question were asked by Tom Magenis and David Omajimolo. So, it is Liverpool and a fullback to cover Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robbo. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who Alex referenced in last week's podcast, as a player who is streaks ahead of all other fullbacks uh, in the uh, metrics that, that you looked at. Is that correct, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's really good at football. There you go. So, uh, I mean, it's written in the question, isn't it? A cover. We're not looking for a new player here. Who would like to go first? Alex, should we start with you? Um, yeah, I, I, and I think it is... 
mean, it's important to stress just how good both of these guys are. And yeah. obviously due to their age as well, they are, there is no point in looking to upgrade no. on them. You um, might, maybe you can't upgrade on them. Uh, well, you can't upgrade on Trent Alexander-Arnold, in my opinion. Can you upgrade on Robbo? Um, maybe Alaba. Okay. Possibly. Maybe. But, what, what, uh, but what? even then, I think it's... I don't know what you think on that, Seb, but I, th I think it's <laughs> close. I mean, Alaba's maybe a little more versatile. He is older, though. Um, what is it that they are doing that uh, needs to be uh, discussed before we decide who could who could come in and cover that? Because they have quite a wide role, don't they? Well, yes, literally, mm -hmm. in fact. Thank you. <laughs> it's very good. Um, I mean, basically, they they do provide most of the width to the way that Liverpool attack. Um, Liverpool uses, obviously, as we know, inverted wingers and, and Salah and Mane particularly, who like to cut inside with Firmino dropping off. Um, sorry, Firmino dropping off. It's like you heard my correction inside yeah, my own I just head. saw you fractionally raise an eyebrow. Um, and <laughs> they have this kind of pretty workmanlike midfield who are there to win the ball back, to press, uh, to keep shape. And so... Not only are they providing width, but they're also providing a lot of Liverpool's attacking impetus in transition from deep. So what you're looking at are progressive passes, passes that move the ball forwards, progressive runs, carries with the ball. Uh, you're also looking at what we call deep completed passes and crosses. So that's effectively a, a pass or a cross that finds a player within 25 yards of the goal. So more or less in the penalty area, but also a little bit outside when you get into wider areas or at the top of the box. So effectively, most of the dangerous attacking passes into that area for Liverpool come from those two players. Right. So you're, you're effectively looking to replicate not just two extraordinarily talented players, but also two players who are not necessarily redefining the attacking fullback role, because I think that that's a move that's happened earlier. Um, but are certainly elevating it they're towards being... That, right? Well, they're kind of Liverpool's primary playmakers, um, yeah. which their midfield are not. Uh, and that's fine because they've they've worked out that this is where their thrust comes from and that the midfield is kind of compensating. It will be a little diff different, I think, if Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita regain full fitness. Uh, and that, I think, will just give Liverpool an increased tactical flexibility to be able to generate attacking moves from midfield rather than from out wide. But you're basically saying, can you replace or, or, or find cover for two of the best players in the world in their mm -hmm. positions? Uh, which is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but... With that in mind. <laughs> with that in mind. Um, so from a left-back perspective, um, I mean, what I've tried to do here is, is find players who are older uh, and would therefore possibly be not just inclined to be cover or rotational options, but also who could maybe bring some experience to the squad um, and help bring through younger players in those positions, which I know something Seb is going to talk about a little bit uh, in a minute. Bastian Otsipka, uh, who's at Schalke, who can play as a left back or a left wing back. Um, his stats are pretty reasonable. Schalke also a very high pressing side. Um, he's a very solid pro who's been playing in the Bundesliga for a long time now. So I don't think he'd have any issues adapting to the system. Um, and I think he could come in and, and, and fill or cover for Robertson without any enormous drop-off. I mean, it would be a drop-off, but that's a caveat with all of these players. Uh, Mario Rui, who's at Lazio, who's 28, um, 
Lazio are—they—they're uh, tending not to use him an awful lot, but his numbers are surprisingly good for somebody who's only got, I think, I don't know, eight hundred minutes or something this season. So he would be a, a decent fill-in option as well. Uh, right back is much harder. Um, I. I it doesn't seem like there are that many fantastic right backs out there. I found a guy called Daniel Brzezinski at Mainz, um, who's pretty good, uh, 31 years old, again, used to playing in quite a high pressing system and a, a kind of long-term solid professional who'd be able to adapt quickly. Uh, and as a potential option, if they were looking for short-term cover, um, Valentino Lazaro, who's the right wing back at Inter, uh, is barely playing. Uh, at the moment he's he's only 23 he's a very talented player but Inter might be amenable to to giving him out on loan possibly and he'd fit into the system he's a little more of a right wing back or possibly even a right midfielder so defensively he's not as good an option but he would be able to satisfy much of what's happening they wouldn't want to buy him outright I'm sure um, but he could be a, a, a versatile option if he was loaned Seb? So <clears throat> I went a different way. I had a little bit of a thing about what Liverpool are and what it is that makes them what they are. Um, and I think if, with a few exceptions, if you go through them player by player basis, there's nothing actually individually remarkable within that side. There are players who have become individually remarkable, but they didn't arrive in that way. And so I would be very, very nervous about bringing outside elements into that football team, primarily because what is the, if you're a, if you're a player being recruited by Liverpool, what is and a fullback, what is the proposition being sold to you? Are you are you give, being given a real opportunity to, to displace someone like Andrew Robertson or Trent Alexander Arnold? Probably not. So you're being sold the chance to be a backup. You are you're not really going to be a Liverpool player. You're going to be a guy who wears a Liverpool tracksuit on a substitute bench, or you know plays the occasional League Cup game or deputises whilst. Games are being played in Qatar, for mm, instance. Yeah. Um, and so I'm inclined to favour personality or circumstances. So you, you, you find a situation where your, your imperative is to find someone who is accepting of the situation. Um, and that kind of leads you to look at what's underneath the first team at Liverpool already. So we've, uh, very fortunately, we, we saw in the, um, the Merseyside derby, we saw both Nico Williams and Yasser Larucci play. Larucci was the, the substitute came on for James Milner right at the beginning of that game. Um, and they're interesting because, again, not because of what they are individually, impressive as they are, but because of what you see from Liverpool age group teams. Now, the Champions League group stages have ended, which means that the age group games shown on BT Sport at like three in the afternoon have also ended. Um, I would encourage anyone to go back and uh, if they can find footage of Liverpool's game against Napoli, um, which is probably as impressive a demonstration of youth team football as I've ever seen. In what that age group was it? Under 19. Under 19. Um, usually <laughs> what you see is um, the... Uh, physical players dominating or players who are outstandingly talented for their age group category being particularly prominent. Now, what that Liverpool performance was, uh, was a demonstration of system, um, a showing of just how well uh, the young Liverpool players, even those who at that point had no first team experience, a couple of have, have, have um, had some since, but how well they understand what the club's aims are um, 
at first team level despite not playing there. And so when that's when that kind of thing is in place, it's kind of Barcelona-ish. It's that sort of mentality which has become very common now where you homogenize the approach and the tactics of every age group team from you know under 10s upwards. Um, but rarely does it look quite as impressive as it does with Liverpool. And so you want to you want to minimise the disruption, particularly when things are going well. So if you've got a side who are almost certainly going to win the, cha- the, the, the Premier League, are a heavy favourite to win to retain the Champions League, why would you interfere with the chemistry within that side? Um, also, why would you import someone who potentially um, uh, doesn't speak the language, has no prior history of living in Liverpool? You're, you're bringing someone in who can offer some backup, can potentially take... Um, the strain off a player by playing maybe 10 games a season, you know, on either side of the pitch. But you're also, the the, um, the 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 counterpoint to that is that you're maybe bringing in something negative. Um, and so I'd be inclined to, to, to give opportunities to youth players. I know it sounds like a cop-out, but it's so rare to find a, a youth team, a group of youth teams who align well with a first team, particularly now in 2020, and particularly with a club who are so good. Usually... Youth team players are kind of the refuge either of the damned or of teams in the middle of a reset. So, for instance, if you think back to Tottenham under Maurizio Pochettino, you saw that kind of that, that, that group of, yes, Harry Kane, but also Ryan Mason, Nabil Bentaleb um, coming into the side. You're doing that because you have the latitude to almost, almost work off a, a, a clean sheet, really. Um, You've got a bit of a blank check for a while. A little bit. You've got the um, you've got the goodwill of the supporters. Yeah. A youth team player would always be afforded that kind of support from the stands, which is a very important thing. And you know, if you go out and spend fifteen, twenty million pounds on a backup, that is immediately a little bit of an inefficiency, um, which you avoid entirely if you uh, if you look. So let's say that, for example, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold was suffered an injury which would mean mm-hmm. he would be out for four months of the season mm-hmm. at that point are you thinking it might be better to bring someone in or would you still offer the opportunity to a youth player for that significant portion of time no still the youth player because I think I think the, the approach has to take priority if you think about the circumstances which brought Trent Alexander-Arnold into the first team um and which have also allowed Andrew Robertson to flourish on the other side these are players who haven't necessarily benefited from competition Alexander-Arnold has no rival in his position. He will always, always play, and he knows he will always play. Now, one of the kind of the... Um, the, the it's not a fallacy, because it does apply to some players, but it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a commonality of football players. Not every player responds to being challenged for his position. Some need to feel secure. Um, and if something is working, which it obviously is, why would I interfere with that? True, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, the, <clears throat> the only caveat I'd add to that and I don't, I don't disagree. And you know, in terms of finding potential players for this exercise, it, it can be kind of slightly removed from the actuality yeah. of it, like you're saying. Which is personally, having watched that Merseyside derby, I would agree with what you're saying. But Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't have competition in that position, partly because he's as good as he is. It, it's not necessary. He's not necessarily good as a result of not having competition. It's no, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a root cause. In that. I just think if we look, what, what kind of time period do we, are we will we accept as kind of his first team tenure? Probably two and a half years now, ish. Is that about? Yeah, I would say so we agree so. with that. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't like changing the circumstances of a player. Um, I don't. I agree with you. I don't. I don't think that is the primary cause of mm. um, of 
of his rise, because if we know anything about Liverpool, it is that it has become a meritocracy. Um, that is the ethos of the club. I just think, I don't know how he'd respond to a rival. That's really um, the hmm. point, and I want to avoid that variable if possible. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, Nico Williams is a looks to be potentially a very talented player. So, mm. um, and, and I think Liverpool are the sort of club where they aren't going to bring in people unnecessarily. Uh, I mean, the only thing I would think if, if Alexander Arnold was out injured for that length of time, I would look at James Milner's fitness yeah. because you would want some additional cover across that possession. But beyond that, I think, I think it's probably reasonable. I mean, there's nothing about that Merseyside derby that suggested that Williams wasn't ready mm-hmm. to play mm-hmm. first-team football. You've also got Joe Gomez there as well. I know he's a centre-half and he's, that's where his future is, but theoretically he's, he's as functional as, say, someone like Eric Dyer might be as a right-back. He's not, oh, he's Alex much like, more functional than that. <laughs> I would suggest. No, I, I, in terms of what his defensive attributes are, I think Dyer is a, very, is a capable fullback. He's not an athletic fullback, but he's someone that you can put in without any, certainly with detriment to your, to, to your attack, but not with any detriment to your defence or yeah. any added vulnerability. I don't, I don't think. I, I just, um, yeah, I like the continuity of Liverpool. I might have been sort of swayed too much in its favour, but I, I, I still feel there's so much to explore in those players and I don't want mm. to, I don't want to do anything to disturb um, that atmosphere. If it ain't broke. There. Well, exactly Liverpool that. are the smartest club in the Premier League yep. by such a long distance that, you know, everybody should really be looking to copy what they're doing. So so don't ask us, ask them. Oh, just ask, Wait for what they do and ask then that's a little the right bit. thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, just get our opinion. Like, otherwise we'll just turn the podcast off now. Like, and Can we do that though? We could just do West Ham every week. It's funny, uh, no one's copying West Ham. Okay, next up is from JM. I would love to know if there's a lone strike of a Palace in the same mould as Batshuayi last season and uh, really all things Palace. Thanks for this. Love the Sensible Transfer Series. Hey, thanks JM. Although you asked your question too early or we answered it too late because uh, Cenk Tosun is, has already sort of filled that role. So what we're going to do very briefly is let Alex, who did spend <coughs> who did spend some time um, coming up with other possible solutions, just reel off very briefly the list of names that he has, and then what we're going to do is discuss something else instead. So thanks, JM. It, it'll be in your name, though. Alex, who were the other names that you came up with other than Cenk Tosan? Did uh, he appear on your list, by the way? No. <clears throat> okay. Well, I, I went... Ad- I mean, there's... I'm always slightly sceptical of taking a player on loan from another Premier League side if that player's barely being used at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, Everton have Calvert-Lewin, who's playing extremely well at the moment. So, I Not to rub salt in any wounds, but I feel like you just said that with that guy from Lazio or Inter Milan, that he's barely played, but Liverpool could take him on loan. Hey, did I get you? Did I? Well, that, I mean, that's... I got you. Did I'm I get talking him? about another Did Premier League side. I'm recusing myself from whatever, <laughs> I think hell, I got whatever this is. I think like, I had him. Yeah. No, go on. Um, Let's go with that logic. Let's go with that logic. So I, I looked at players across Europe's top five leagues who'd played fewer than 800 minutes and then kind of dug into why that might be the case. And in some instances, it was injury and so on. So then I looked at younger players who were possibly behind a striker who was doing really, really well and would therefore be you know, hungry for an opportunity to do well, but were not necessarily able to displace somebody else. So Ibrahim and Nyan 
um, who's a Senegalese striker at Mets playing behind Habib Diallo, who's not going to be displaced from that position as long as he's fit. Um, he's very quick. He's the sort of striker who thrives on on through passes, but he's also got quite a good physical presence if you go aerially. So he's interesting to look at. Uh, and then Musa Barrow, um, who's at Atalanta. Uh, at the moment, Atalanta have got people like um, Josip Ilicic playing up front. They've got um, Duvan Zapata and they've got another guy whose name has completely gone from my mind, but he's another Colombian guy. And he's very quick. Luis Muriel, yeah, that's, that's the fella. Yeah. So Barrow is not very likely to get into that side at the moment. Um, he's versatile. He can play as a left winger as well as a centre forward. He's only 21. And I have a kind of general sneaking feeling that if Atalanta buy somebody when they're quite young, then they're worth keeping an eye on because Atalanta don't often make mistakes in that regard. Um, so he would be an interesting possible loan pick as well. Okay. Um, so those, those are the two that I would look at. And they're, they're the sort of players that are worth keeping a, a more general eye on anyway. Okay. Did you have any answers to this before you saw uh, Cenk Tosin? Uh, he he follows the news. Cenk Tosin kind of uh, took the jam out of my donut there. Right, uh, yeah. sure. Okay, well, in that case, what we were going to do in honour of JM's question is Maybe answer a completely different one. Maybe we can Do you want to dwell on Cenk Tosin? I, I just find it very strange because I... Um, I remember when he joined, I actually saw his debut for Everton. Um, he was he was against Spurs at Wembley. And he's a really odd forward because he's kind of, he he doesn't have the, the physicality to operate as a target man, but he kind of behaves like that. Um, yes, I know what you mean. He's a slightly more skillful player than people give him credit for. If you look back at his, um, his highlights for Besiktas, I think, um, in the Champions League from 2017, you see a, a, what looks like an entirely different player. Mm. Entirely different skill set, which no one's ever really seen since he came to England. Um, the the asterisk against his time at Everton is that um, Everton are not a good side and haven't been since he's been here. So he hasn't really had the opportunity to play around a, a fully functioning attacking unit. I still don't really get it from from Palace's perspective. I'm not sure what he gives you that isn't already there. Um, I think who is already there? Benteke is still there. Conor Wickham is still there. Jordan Ayew is doing remarkable things despite everybody writing off me included at the mm. beginning of the season. Um, what does Chang Tosson give you? I mean, I the January loan market is for urgent needs. What is what is Chang Chang Tosson bringing? I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't think he links particularly well with the other attacking players. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you would have thought that the main question uh, in the minds of recruiters bringing in a striker for Palace is how is this player going to fit when Zaha That's it. and whoever's playing on the other side. Exactly. Right? I recognise where my bread is buttered as, as Palace's uh, sporting director, as Dougie Friedman. Mm. I think every signing that comes in, if they're going to play in one of the sort of the front four or five positions, how they respond to Zaha yeah. is important because Zaha, Zaha is, um, is an unpredictable player. That's kind of the key to what makes him effective. And so I need a kind of a, um, in an ideal world really, I kind of think of um, what Roberto Soldado was at Valencia, that right. kind of footballer who is maybe not a prolific goal scorer, but someone that has the technique to adjust around what Saha does with the ball. Also a Roberto Firmino type character as well. Yeah, right? absolutely. Is that, it possible that, that in conversation with Cenk I think that's Tosin, why I works quite well, actually. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But do, do you think is it possible in conversation with, 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 with Cenk Tosin that um, the, the people at Palace feel confident that he 
he's going to be able to move around what Zaha is doing that maybe he has expressed a, uh, a desire to play alongside him or facilitate him in that way I mean evidently I mean uh, from his perspective Cenk Tosin presumably just wants the opportunity to play that's probably the most important thing to yeah. him what assurances have been given to him I don't know obviously but um, yeah it's a slightly strange one happy to be proved wrong of course but I first of all I don't really see him displacing Jordan Ayew mm. um, if he's after the kind of the benefits of continuity I don't see how he gets that from the substitutes bench because that's where I think most of his opportunities will come like you can't you don't assimilate into a new side in the middle of the season because you just don't have the time so what you're saying is you're you're using him as an impact sub which okay I mean I is it possible but, that he wanted to stay in England and didn't have any other offers uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he was quite short of offers. Yeah, right. but uh, yeah, of course. And you got on some people. These people have families. Um, they sometimes have children. I don't think Cenk Tosin has a father, but uh, you know, sometimes they do. They've got children in school, and so you have to respect that. But at the same time, this feels like a little bit of a lunge from everybody's perspective. I think had they waited until, I mean, this was concluded in the first week of the transfer window, so it's not as if they've been um, particularly circumspect with their decision making or it, it also sounds way, like something that's maybe been in the planning for a while if it happens uh, in the first week of the window right maybe 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 I, I just even then I don't see the logic I don't see I don't see what need he's fulfilling hmm. I, th I think I think he's not necessarily fulfilling that need but Palace aren't scoring lots of goals and the issue is that their defensive performance at the moment is is very strong hmm. but they are very significantly overperforming in terms of their expected goals against. So what that means in simple terms is that they're conceding fewer goals than you'd expect them to from the quality of shots they're facing. So if you're an intelligent sporting director, and I don't know enough about Doogie Friedman to suggest whether he is or he isn't, but I would be looking at that situation and saying, we have to assume that we're going to start conceding more goals than we have been up to this point because that's an unsustainable gap. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's close to kind of 10 goals that they've not conceded that you'd expect them to from the quality of shots they've faced. Having only scored 20 goals, then you need to adjust that balance. And rather than saying, well, let's right. improve a defence that's actually doing really, really well. Bring in more goals. Bring in more goals. I, I, would, now, I, would, I, I don't think Cenk Tosin is the answer, but I think the question... There is a way of reading it that suggests that the question is an intelligent one. Mm -hmm. I just think they've answered it the wrong way. I would, I would, I would also say that a lot of their defensive performance or their statistical defensive performance is down to their goalkeeper. I think he's one of the better goalkeepers in the league. I think he's also played extremely well. Um, so I would, I would say I'm not even sure they have defended that well. I mean, I, I just think that sort of sometimes, and I don't think Dougie Friedman is a particularly progressive sporting director I don't think he's tracking expected goals I don't think I'm he's trying gonna, to be nice that, that's that, that caught me off guard that's not your personality as discussed um, <laughs> now they're thinking discussed when yeah yeah. just um, before we started recording in relation to what um, so yeah I, I, I agree with Alex I think that um, this is a uh, this is kind of the wrong way of answering a pertinent question. Okay, well, look, let's talk about Gerson Fernandez, uh, which is what we were going to do in honour of you, JM. Um, Seb's moving somewhere. I don't know what he's doing. He's getting his charger to... Oh, I see. Yes, he needs his visual aids. So some of us... Uh, see, I thought I'd put together kind of <coughs> an elaborate set of, you know, gestures. That, <laughs> the that, gestures made sense, but you put your tongue out of your mouth and that confused me. 
pointed the other way. Um, that makes me sound like that. That doesn't flatter me. No, it wasn't so someone that to. can't do things without sticking my tongue. Tell out. me yeah. about Geds and Fernandez. We were going to talk about this instead. It's okay. sort of in place of, uh, of JM's question. Thank you for your question, JM. Um, is, this is also a, a report. I mean, it's nothing has been finalised at the moment that we are it speaking about. It might be done by the time this comes out. Yeah, okay. We so are, we're recording this on a Monday. It's yeah. being released on a Tuesday. The, the deal uh, that is being reported about is a loan deal with an option to buy, I think. But can you first just tell us about Gedson Fernandez? Because I don't know much about him. So uh, a couple of years ago, people will remember him from... Uh, he's a bit of a gossip column favourite. He was a kind of... Um, I think I compare him a little bit. Um, his this is sorry. This is for Tottenham, by the way. I don't this think we mentioned Tottenham. that. So um, not Palace. Gedson Fernandez was initially offered. Uh, he's clearly been offered around a little bit. Um, initially to West Ham, um, who we think had some kind of agreement with Benfica for that transfer. Uh, Tottenham. Um, Gedson Fernandez is represented, newly represented by George Mendes, um, and so uh, obviously. Does that mean he would go to Wolves? Uh, well, also. Jason Mourinho is, of course, a George Mendes client. Um, so despite agreeing a deal with uh, West Ham, the player has chosen to join Tottenham. Um, bit of a strange one because Gesson hasn't really played for Benfica much this season. Um, for context, I think he's actually played fewer uh, Premier League, uh, has fewer Premier League minutes than Kyle Walker-Peter does Premier League minutes for Tottenham, if that makes sense. Okay. So that's your for scale. And he's, what is the reason for that? 203 <laughs> right. Premier League minutes. He's also played 135 minutes in the Champions League. Since so, August? Uh, this season, yes, yeah, that's correct. Me. Okay. Yeah. So there's two reasons for that. Firstly, uh, I think that there's been a little bit of falling out between him and uh, the Benfica coach, but also uh, he had a little bit of an injury at the beginning of the season. So um, on the presumption that Tottenham complete the deal, um, they will be getting, first of all, a player who's never played in, in England. Secondly, a player that really doesn't have very much professional experience at all. I think he's, um, I think he's played fewer than, than 50 senior games as a professional. So you're really getting quite a, an embryonic career. He's, a, he's soft clay, in other words. He's not, a, he's not someone who's coming in to fulfill any sort of need at Spurs. He's a body. Um, my guess, and it is a guess. What, 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 what is this sixty million euro valuation based on? Then is he is he has he shown uh, himself to be a very very promising? Uh, a couple of things. So um, in the way that so often happens, um, he glints just enough. He glinted just enough as a teenager to, with the benefit of Benfica's reputation for creating young players. Think about Renato Sanchez a couple of years ago. Um, to have this sort of arbitrary valuation stuck on his head. Um, that was also supported by reported interest from teams like Manchester United and I think at one point Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, in this instance, I think the figure is really meaningless. I mean, supposedly after an 18-month loan deal, Tottenham will have the opportunity to purchase him for 50 million either pounds or euros. I'm not quite sure about that until the deal is completed. My guess is that this deal really has nothing to do with Tottenham at all. He is being put in a place... Uh, uh, being 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 placed at a club managed by someone that George Mendes trusts in a bid to rehabilitate his reputation to the point which in 18 months time um, so at the end of the uh, 2021 season he can move he can be positioned somewhere else in Europe probably not for 50 million pounds or euros but somewhere where he has 
he has a kind of functionality to be seen as a credible component at a mid-level club because I think that's probably his level. He's a skillful footballer. Um, he's tagged really as a sort of deep-lying playmaker type. But I think one of the things that sort of... Um, I mean, the Tottenham fan base has reacted to this and sort of like, well, we need that kind of player in our formation. I think what's really important to note is that he hasn't fully formed anything. So we can describe him as a as a, as a sort of holding mid- midfielder with a passing range and the ability to go past players. But at the moment, he's really just a set of attributes. He doesn't have the reputation in any one department of a side to be classed as anything. Um, so Tottenham are getting someone who presumably will have almost no impact for the rest of the season, will hopefully benefit from some kind of pre-season under Mourinho, and then will be a sort of, I don't want to say a sort of a bit part, but a, a you know, not a, not a member of the first cast, if that makes sense. Um, it's not something to get excited about, but then neither is it something to be particularly irritated by because it's just, it's one of the things in football that happens. No one is staking huge sums of money on it. Um, no one is losing out. Um, the expectation is that this will not prohibit Spurs from doing other more pressing transfer business throughout the rest of the window. Um, and he's interesting. I wouldn't. I think he's fallen off reputationally over the last couple of years. Um, but I think that's just a sign of the times. You know what the sort of we all know what the YouTube community is like about you know young players. If you package something the right way, you can present anyone as looking like a world beater or a future mm-hmm. Ballon d'Or winner. Um, but I think practically he's functional mm-hmm. I think his future is as a I think one day he will play in the middle of a Bundesliga Premier League that, that type of level I not he's not he's not as future star I don't think yeah I mean I'm just watching him now um, and and his he is that sort of player like his best bits are really good um, and he did a few nice things in a under 19s game for Portugal against England fairly recently but it's it's, there's nothing about him that suggests a sustained level of performance. Um, and if he were that good, he would be playing regularly for Benfica. He's not. So, I, I mean, I, without going into him in any real detail, because I haven't, it, it's hard to say, but Seb's explanation of things sounds very credible. Okay. He's I, not I, He's not who I would be looking at if I was Spurs. I think this is one of those situations. He's not the profile of player I'd be looking at either. That's what it's worth. That's absolutely, absolutely right. <laughs> I, I think what's important about him specifically is that he is not unusually an example of someone who's, whose reputation depends on what he was as a youth team footballer. Um, these, these tournaments, these international tournaments, these youth tournaments, they're televised now. People people gravitate towards players like that. And then as they shift into the professional game, even if they don't play, it takes a little bit of time for the correction to take place. Because it, it, it reminds me of Ravel Morrison or something like that, minus, minus any sort of... Ravel Morrison, um, the example I would probably use actually is Renato Sanchez. Yeah. Like had a few moments as a senior, has had more moments as a senior player than, than Gerson has, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, it's not that the reputation is false, it's that he hasn't actually done anything as a senior to, to merit it yet. Mm-hmm. He'll have the opportunity, like Mourinho and Mendes will talk, they are not quite as close as they used to be, but they are still close. Um, he is in a good place with good facilities in a very visible league, which is very important, which is the kind of the tell of the situation. Um, and the idea is to change the way that the world thinks about the player. Not necessarily to say, right, you are the player who's going to carry Tottenham's midfield for the next five, ten years. That's 
just not how it is. Um, mm-hmm. That's not the player. Alex is quite right. It's not the profile of player they need at all. This episode is supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. You can get a seven-day free trial, 50% off an annual subscription, uh, and your chance to read things. Uh, I mean, we're doing a sort of transfer-related podcast, so we've gone had a quick look through what is available today, uh, transfer-related. Seb, there's a few things that uh, you have either read or are planning on reading later. Yeah, no, just a little bit of um, early early transfer bits and pieces. So um, Adam Leventhal has kind of has a, an exclusive on uh, Watford signing Ignacio Passetto from Udinese for fifty million pounds. Where does he play? Uh, <laughs> Seb doesn't know, but he's going to read it Seb later. Seb doesn't know. Seb, Seb knows just about what Ignacio Passetto looks like now. But <laughs> I told him um, before we started recording that he, he didn't need to know. He's a forward. <laughs> he's a forward. A forward. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we also no. have uh, Shay Adams, uh, who has had a bit of a tough time at Southampton since moving from Birmingham. Sure. Um, the Athletic have him, the Athletic's Phil Hay has him going to Leeds United. Hello. Um, obviously, Eddie Nketiah uh, has, uh, has gone back to, to Arsenal to be loaned out elsewhere. So Marcelo Bielsa needs, uh, needs someone to challenge Patrick okay. Bamford. Yeah. Um, so lots of bits and pieces and they've got their um, their their transfer pod with Adam Leventhal and Jackie Oatley going. So that's, uh, that's worth a listen. Yeah. It is good. Okay, well, as I said, seven-day free trial. You can get 50% off an annual subscription that works out to be about £2.50 a month, 8p a day. Uh, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO and uh, find more information there. And do sign up. You probably won't regret it. Thank you for this. Back to the episode now. Patrick Casey, uh, also Connor Monroe. Celtic goalkeeper or central midfielder, i.e. potential long-term replacements for both Gordon and Forster in goals, and Scott Brown in midfield. Celtic. Who wants to go first, Alex? Um, yes. So I cheated. <coughs> right. Yeah. I don't. You do that every episode, isn't that the whole point of your? What do you mean? I was just making a, a sort of joke about you know some of the comments. This guy, this guy's just looking online. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I'm not flying around, am I? No, in this instance, I I, I spoke to a guy called Aidan Ray, who is a uh, a coach and goalkeeping analyst who works in the states um, and is on Twitter. I think he's at AR Data Analysis, um, and he's specifically a goalkeeping coach or has experience of that. So I asked him to have a quick look. What did Aiden say? Well, one of the options is just re-signing Fraser Forster, um, assuming that uh, Southampton are prepared to let him go, which they probably would be. (laughs) Um, I mean, Forster is is still an exceptional shot stopper. Um, He's not a modern goalkeeper. He's very big in his frame. He's not... (laughs) Good lord! What are you do? What are you holding? That's that making noises. So let, let me let me let me let me justify this. So originally, I sat down on a, on a different part of the the office, mm-hmm. and Crimea River. Well, I mean, you should because you've created this this awkwardness by moving me yes. to, to a, a position, position where, where my charger does not stretch. No, fair enough. So that was your charger. Was my it computer must remain charged for me to be able to read from my notes. Right, and okay. you've created a disruption <laughs> in that. <laughs> Now no. stop talking. Okay. Alex. Uh, yeah, so obviously Southampton have got Angus Gunn and Alex McCarthy um, and the 9-0 aside. Then neither of them are bad. Um, Gunn, I think, is actually very promising. It's just probably his confidence has taken a massive knock for obvious reasons. But I believe in Ralph. 
I love Ralph. Um, so Fraser Forster, very likely uh, available as an option. Um, good shot stopper, not great with his feet, but you know he's not old. He's not past it. So for that level, he is, would. Is he currently third choice? Uh, at Southampton, yeah. Well, I mean, he's on loan at Celtic, so oh, I see. It Sorry. would be tricky for him to be. Yeah. Sure. Um, so that is an option. That would be fine. Good. Yeah. I see what you did there with the cutaway. That's that's yeah. excellent. Thank you. Um, domestic option. Um, there's a fellow called uh, Laurentiu Branescu who is at Kilmarnock on loan from Juve. How are you spelling that name? Uh, surname is B R N. Sorry, B R A N E S C U. Uh, Romanian. Kilmarnock on loan from Juve. Um, he's 25. His contract is up in the summer. He's been playing pretty well for Kilmarnock. So he's used to the league. It would be a fairly straightforward kind of moving across if if they want to pick someone who's got Scottish Premiership experience. Um, and because he's out of contract, that shouldn't be a massive issue. Um, the other one I think I'll mention is uh, there's a guy called Marek Kotsiol at Corona Kielce. Is that the name of the you club? You didn't do these yourself. No, you I know, I did. I said I didn't do them myself. That's fine. No, I just, you I'm didn't do these yourself, question mark. Oh, Christ, no. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm just going to read out what it says. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's an older option. He's already 31, but his numbers fit Celtic perfectly. Um, conceded goal difference of 0.46 um, on 4.37 shots per match. One of the better shot stoppers in Poland. Um, Celtic do have a thing for Polish goalkeepers for some reason. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, again, quite a traditional goalkeeper tends to punt it long, not you know a sweeper keeper style of thing. But Celtic don't look to play that way, particularly from the back. So not Allison against Spurs, right? Um, was funny, wasn't probably it? available for about a million. Um, right. The only other one I'll just mention quickly is potentially taking Jack Butland on loan from Stoke. Okay, he's a goalkeeper who needs to you know, revive his career. Uh, it worked for Forster before Forster then came back down to Southampton and, and started winning the odd England cap. So Butland out of favour might be worth looking at. So yeah. Jack Butland just needs a hug, doesn't he? Um, yes. So I've got two uh, different kinds of options. Um, the first is Daniel Bentley from Bristol City. Uh, doesn't come with the same sort of physical presence as Fraser Forster. Really nice sort of neat goalkeeper, moves around, his, moves across his line really nicely. Um, comes out really good in one-on-one situations, good distribution um, foot and, you know, by throwing it out. Um, got a little bit of a question mark against his form. He's um, he's run into a little bit of a, a, a down patch at Bristol City. He's, he's kind of, he's fumbling a lot. His hands aren't as, as, as soft as they seemed a couple of months ago. But... Um, he was signed. <laughs> oh, daddy! That's <laughs> yeah, a, a good. It's just. A, I don't know if we were thinking the same thing. It's just but, the way uh, you said it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about people's relationship with their fathers. That's, that's not okay. God, that went into a weird place quickly, didn't it? It does. He does this. Um, Soft hands. The other option, a really simple one, uh, on the presumption that Norwich are probably going to get relegated. Sorry, Joe. <gasps> Maybe have a little look at Tim Krull. Mm. Um, Don't just have a little look. Have a long, old look. Well, have a look. I, I, I've got some question marks against him. I think he's a better shot stopper than he is a goalkeeper. I think his personality is a little bit aggressive. Um, Love it. I think I want someone... A little bit, little less like Artur Boric in the Celtic goal because uh-huh. he was. 
Um, so he's an option. I mean, it's interesting because under under Brendan Rodgers, there was a, a real there, there was a stress on playing out from the back. So you would have had we been having this conversation two years ago, we'd be looking at a goalkeeper who's good with the ball at his feet. Um, as Alex mentioned, that doesn't seem particularly important if you're if you're playing Fraser Forster, you don't you know yeah it's neither here nor there really. I like Bentley. I think that's um, it's very difficult to get a sense of what Celtic's budget is. I'm going to get onto that with their central midfield options. But Bentley, a million to uh, City paid, I think one five for him from Brentford maybe a year ago, um, 18 months ago, something like that. But a good goalkeeper, really good goalkeeper. And also okay. I like the goal. I, like, I, I want to, I want to bring a goalkeeper from a British environment. Um, I don't like it. I don't like bringing goalkeepers from, from abroad and slinging them straight in because there's almost always a little bit of a, uh, an adjustment period, a difficulty in, 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 in adapting to how physical the six yard box is in British football. Um, and he seems to cope with it in the football league well enough. I think language is also yeah. probably more important to goalkeepers than it is to any other position. Um, because you are responsible for organising everything mm-hmm. uh, in front of you, and so an inability to communicate is is I think probably hampers a goalkeeper more than it would hamper an outfield player. Um, so I think that's important. Okay, well. we've got a uh, central midfielder as well here, haven't we? Uh, a replacement for Scott Brown in midfield. Mm. Alex, uh, yeah, I didn't do this one. Fair enough, <laughs> Seb. I did. I, I think. It's interesting because there's two ways of approaching this because are we dealing with what Scott Brown is now or what he was? Because yeah, 10 years ago, Scott Brown was one of the most rounded central midfielders in Britain, really. I mean, there was a lot of rumours connecting him with, um, you know, with, with, with moves to sort of top half of the Premier League England sides, English sides. Um, today, uh, he's 34 now, I think. Um, he's not as mobile as he was. So his main role is to be really a distributor, um, to be kind of, uh, I think he's, he's playing alongside Callum McGregor at sort of the base of a 4-2-3-1. Um, McGregor is the more aggressive of the two, the more attacking player. Um, so I see his role really as being kind of more metronomic. I know he's kind of developed that, um, that Begbie caricature over recent years, uh, which I think is funny but at the same time it's got time, to stop glassing people in the face it's really well yeah. that too but also there's a there's a very famous clip of him which most people have seen right exactly um, but I think that masks just how good a footballer he has been so I want someone with those attributes so I've got three for you um, couple of them a little bit from left field Jay Fulton from Swansea City his career has plateaued a little bit um, but there is a footballer there um, there's also a really neat twist there. His, his, his dad actually played for, for Celtic, um, Steve Fulton. Um, I love that saying. That there, there is, is a footballer. Football it was a bit proper football man, wasn't <laughs> it? Was. Yeah, there, there's a player it. there somewhere. But there is. If you look at his attributes, it's a little bit of a mystery as to why mm. he hasn't developed. And I, I've watched a lot of Swansea and I've, I've spent a lot of time around the club over the last couple of years and it's been turmoil. Okay, things have stabilised recently under um, Graham Potter and uh, Steve Cooper. But prior to that, I mean, Fulton is now 25. So he spent a long time um, really as a victim of, of within a kind of a, quite a transient squad. Um, and I just wonder whether that's been the cause of his stagnation. And if put in a, a more stable situation around a better caliber of player, potentially you might sort of tease out the sort of the potential that was supposed to be there a couple of years ago. Um, another option, one who's out of contract in the summer 
uh, Josh Cullen. He was at Charlton. He's been on loan there for now 18 months. He is on loan from West Ham. I don't think, um, having just offered Connor Coventry a new deal, that Cullen's going to get one. So he'll be a free transfer in the summer. He's been excellent. He's a sort of, I see him as a kind of, uh, he's quite similar to Ollie Norwood, Sheffield United's Ollie Norwood, um, in the sense that he's a he's a distributor first and foremost, but a really good one-on-one tackler too. Um, how he would adapt to playing for a club of Celtic size, I, I don't really know. Um, I think it's all well and good saying, right, well, you know, get this football league player and, and, and shove him in the middle of an old firm derby. Celtic's a very, very large club and you, you can never really estimate how... Um, how a player is going to react to that sort of environment and the expectations that exist around mm. being. Also, don't forget, you're you're not just replacing a player. You're replacing someone like Scott Brown. That's a huge task for somebody. Um, and that might be a little bit too much for someone who has never featured outside of um, a club that's on the rise, but still a fairly moderately sized football league team. Um, and the third option, which is... Uh, the third of four, actually. third option um, is really dependent on the player's condition and what his expectations, his earning expectations are at this stage of his career. Could just re-sign Victor Wanyama. Um, right. He's sure. finished as a Premier League player, um, unfortunately. But rehabilitated in the right way in a uh, slightly less demanding league, um, I think there's still something serviceable about him. He's very, very popular. That's another way to replace someone like Scott Brown. Um, because obviously as and when he retires or as and when he leaves the club, it's going to leave more than just a sort of a, a, a technical void. So you need to replace that too. Um, Wanyama was popular. Wanyama was at the peak of his career, an outstanding midfielder, um, contributed both ways in a, you know, in a way that you don't see in many players of his profile. Um, injuries have robbed him of uh, a couple of years as prime, but there's still something there. Um, the fourth player, uh, this by the time this goes out, it might be out of date because he's wanted by um, supposedly Leeds United, um, and that looks like it might happen. But Oxford United's Cameron Brannigan, um, Liverpool fans remember him as a youth academy pros- uh, um, youth academy player, um, decided to leave the club in search of full time football, and has been absolutely excellent at Oxford. Um, they Oxford got done by uh, can't remember who it was but they lost at the weekend. But prior to that, they'd been probably the best side in League One, um, were thought of as a one of the favourites for promotion. And Brannigan has been key to that. But he'd be a cheap option. He'd be a sort of a, a million pounds, two million pounds, that kind of size. Um, and it's quite instructive that teams like Leeds United, who I know their history and they probably don't want to count their chickens, but they're probably heading for the Premier League, um, that that is the kind of player that they're looking at. Um, and he's very, very similar to, to to Cullen. He's a distributor, but he's also a, a defensive midfielder. So he comes with those kind of the holding player attributes that you'd expect and you need in that mm-hmm. position. Okay. Yep. So those are your four. I mean, I I think it's, it's it's interesting. Celtic are hard to shop for because you're never quite sure of their financial situation. Um, it's going to be dependent on the Champions League revenue potentially next season. But um, uh, Having sold Kieran Tierney, you'd expect that there'd be some funds there, but you can't just throw fifteen million pounds at a central midfielder, obviously, um, or at the wages. Okay, last question of today's podcast comes from Elliot uh, Zabala. It's no secret that Roma's defence is ageing and has been for some time. With Roma still dependent on Kolarov to play down the left and still giving Fazio a look from time to time, they will need to replace their backline eventually. Who would be good 
Who would be some some good? Oh, sorry. Who would be some good fullbacks to challenge Florenzi and Kolarov for their positions? And if Roma decide to sign Smalling, who could be a good partner for him? I don't think Smalling is being recalled at all, is he? So I imagine if they want to sign him, that will be fine. Um, what do you think, Alex? Fullbacks, should we start with? Uh, yes. So uh, I mean, fullbacks are tricky, uh, particularly left fullback. Um, I think we. I'm trying to remember what I did this for, but it was one of the sensible transfer videos. There's a group of really, really good, exciting young left backs in Europe at the moment, and they're all on loan from a parent club and unavailable. So you've got Sergio Regulon, Regulon, yeah, yeah. Regulon, uh, who's at Sevilla but on loan from Real Madrid. Um, you've got uh, Estupian Pervez. Is that how? I'm not going to correct you. Okay, great. Is um, Akraf Hakimi in this list? Um, he well, Hakimi's a weird one. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's going to end up as a left back. Uh, I think he's a winger. I think he probably is more of a winger. And Dortmund have actually got him and Rafael Guerrero, who's maybe 25, 26, I think, who is a very similar. Yeah. Like he will play left back because they don't have another one, but he's basically like a winger. Uh, and Hakimi is. Uh, right-footed more naturally so I think maybe as a left-hand side forward or a, a right back um, and then there's this other guy who is called Luca Pellegrini who is performing for a brilliant Cagliari team who are beating expectations um, and is currently on loan from Juventus but was signed from Roma in the summer so Roma Roma had one of the most promising right back certainly the most promising sorry left back most promising Italian left back of that age group and they sold him to Juve in the summer and I don't understand that okay so that that's quite that that would be your answer if if Roma hadn't done something genuinely quite idiotic I mean there may well have been some behind the scenes reason that I'm unaware of but I couldn't find anything um so uh, again Mario Rui who I mentioned before and then you threw shade on um <laughs> Roma tend to Roma tend to recruit from other Serie A sides or La Liga as a preference. Certainly they have done in the last three seasons. They will occasionally take from the Premier League as well. Um, the only other guy I found who I think might be worth a punt for the left-back slot is a guy called Lucas um, Olatha. I'm having a stab at pronouncing that. He's Uruguayan. Uh, do you spell that? Uh, O-L-A-Z-A. Okay. Um, he's at Celta Vigo uh, at the moment and is a Uruguayan, 25 years old. Very attacking, very dynamic, gets forward a lot, crosses the ball a lot. Um, I think he's got two assists so far this season. Um, but he's the right sort of profile of player for who they're looking for. And, and Roma aren't afraid to recruit kind of, I don't want to say, they're not unherited. They don't always have to go after a big name is mm -hmm. the point. Roma can be quite astute in terms of who they're looking to recruit. I would say, for example, Smalling is a good example of that. Someone who was out of favour at their parent club, but for reasons that, you know, maybe have stuff to do with what's going on behind the scenes again and who had been brought in, um, but is doing not just a serviceable job for Roma at the moment. He's arguably one of the outstanding defenders in Serie A this season. So, um, Hazio would be another example of that as well, actually. Just not someone who he came from Spurs, right? He did. Yeah. He did. He, he'd been on. He'd been. I think he went back to Sevilla on loan, 
um, was getting nowhere at Spurs in his career and was kind of, his reputation had almost been terminally damaged and Roma aren't adverse to sort of looking beyond that and seeing what they need from a player. Smalling is a better example, of course, but it's... Uh, um, I mean, there is, there's a degree to which maybe Serie A is a, a fraction slower. Um, and so you can, you can potentially compensate for physical decline slightly more in it, but it, it is now they're taking Ashley Young in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you see, you tried to make that a joke, but it's actually a reasonable point. Yeah. Um, so that's my speciality uh, is saying things that are true, but also in a funny way. Right. Um, Yes. So stop winking to the camera. I can't just, help stop, it. Just, stop, just stop doing See, it. He needs to give himself something to do with the edit. I've got nothing else. Um, hey, yeah, I've okay. nothing for okay. 25 minutes. Okay. So, yes. Go, uh, go. Centre backs. Uh, to partner with Chris Smalling. Yeah, so they've actually got a guy called Gianluca Mancini. Is he um, on loan from Atlanta? Uh, no, I think they bought him from Atlanta now. Oh, okay, so it's permanent now. Okay. Um, that's what transfer marks told me. Oh. They may be wrong. No, that's as good as gold then. No, well, no. Um, and he's very, very promising. Um, and again, has come through the Atlanta system. Um, if you want a young Italian player, there's a guy called Andrea Sistana uh, at Brescia. He's the second most interesting young player at Brescia after Sandro Tonali, who everyone's getting very excited about as the new Andrea Pirlo. Honestly, if you haven't had a chance to watch him, watch he's, him. He's, Tonali is quite good, um, but Sistana as well. Yeah, he is he's, fun. Yeah, He's um, funny. No, he's fun. He's oh, just he's a, fun. He's a fun player to watch. Yeah, he's, a, he's, he's expressive and, and He plays with real swagger. Yeah, he does. Despite right. being... 20 19 19? I think 19 yeah, yeah. Um, hello Sistana's a really nice front foot defender he he gets in front of players when they're receiving the ball kind of jags a leg out knocks it off he's very dynamic he's quite aggressive um, so he's good um, there's a lad at Torino called Bremer um, who's a Brazilian 22 year old defender could be attractive potentially because he can also play at left back um, and he likes to carry the ball um, so there's a bit of, of versatility there. If I am looking at the Premier League, I think Fabian Scher should be on the radar of yeah. most big European clubs. Um, I mean, in terms, where is he? Newcastle. Newcastle. Um, so for defenders in Europe's top five leagues of the sort of bracket that we look at, um, he is I don't know second or third for the number of successful defensive duels per ninety. Um, what he's managed to achieve uh, for a Newcastle side that seems to lack any kind of real identity in terms of how they're seeking to play is remarkable. Um, he's playing behind a pretty workmanlike midfield as well. Uh, full Swiss international chips in with goals as well. I also think Jan Bednarak at Southampton, um, he's a very, very promising defender. Um, I would be surprised if Southampton... I mean, obviously, we've had a resurgence in the last um, few weeks, so that's that's great. Uh, likely, therefore, to retain Premier League status at this point, Touchwood. Um, but I think <laughs> Bednarak's the kind of player who will also be attracting attention in the summer, and Southampton are a selling club, so you know it's going to happen at some point. But but from the Premier League, those are the two defenders that I would look at personally. Seb, am I allowed ten seconds to put my computer back into position? Of course, yeah. Thank you very much. 
Ding, 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 ding. That's left music for you. Now you're ready to go. That was quite clever. Thank you. That was, yeah, that's thanks very so much. So um, he was lifting it. Do you get it? Go. Okay. Good to pause for that little uh-huh. moment. Um, so I've got fullback. Um, three different options, all slightly different in profile. Um, first up, I, I wanted to try and replace Alexander Kolarov as best I could. Um, and go for a slightly older player because I'm aware that um, an older in, player than Kolarov no, an older does one exist? Is, is <laughs> Thirty-four now, I think. Thirty-three, Alexander Kolarov. Yes, I thought yeah. he was not, not older 15. than him, but older than the sort of the the, the profile of fullbacks that Alex was speaking of. Um, just because um, there are a lot of young players further forward in that formation. So, Cliver, Cengiz, uh, Zaniolo, who. Mm. I think got quite badly injured last night. We still don't know quite how badly, but yes. presumably he'd been missing for quite a while. Um, so I found Nuno Sequeira uh, from Braga. Um, he's quite interesting. He's um, uh, he's six foot tall. Um, so he's got that sort of the, the same sort of size as Kolarov. As a, a profile of a player, is very similar. Really good set piece delivery. Lovely left foot. I think he's actually a slightly better defender, particularly one-on-one. He's physical, um, I don't know whether that would mean that in a slightly better league he would actually be quite clumsy. Um, mm. I'm not sure he's quite as aggressive um, as Kolarov. Um, he's not quite as forward-thinking, but some of the tenants of the game are pretty similar, um, and he's a, an affordable option. Um, my ambitious shout, um, who I, I think might actually be invalid on account of a, um, a buyback clause with Barcelona, um, is Mark Cucciarella. Um, who's now at Getafe um, and had a really good season at Ibar last year. Mm. Um, I don't know whether his future is really as a fullback or actually as a left winger, but he's one of those people that um, probably can, you know, probably can cover most of the left side. So you can use him in either, either position. Um, I think I might have got it the other way around. I think that Getafe have an option to buy. I don't think another club can actually interfere with that. I'm not sure, but um, he's certainly someone that um, would, you know, sort of fit the bill, but also um, someone who's probably undervalued by the market at the moment on account of being, you know, when, when players wash out of Barcelona, um, they almost move into their own little weird category where people think, right, well, they're an afterthought now. Cucciarello is actually a really good player. He's, um, he is listed as still being owned by Barca. I know okay, it, it okay. gets very complicated. There's and- something in that. So there's one way or another, there is an agree- a future agreement, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think um, he's certainly someone that should be playing at a club of Roma's size and stature. Yeah, he was exceptional last he season. Really and and he was one of those guys when we were doing sensible transfer stuff in the summer, his name kept coming up as a left back. But again, like a number of these other guys, it seems like you know if somebody's really, really talented at, at that sort of age, they're getting tied up. In, in those wide defensive positions in a way that maybe they aren't yeah. for other positions because it, it's so hard to find a really, really good left back. Mm. I think also like a club like Ibar and maybe even Getafe, like sometimes the resources um, mean that a player does have to cover both positions, um, whether they're suited to it or not. Mm. Um, and ultimately it's the modern trend, isn't it? A fullback is going to be a passable winger just by definition now. Um, it's very rare to find someone that can only play one of those roles. Yeah. Um, and one which is just gratuitous just because I don't think he's comparable to um, uh, to Kolarov but he's going to be available on a free transfer in the summer is Livin Kazawa Paris Saint-Germain player skillful bit of a suspect personality 
Um, we changed the dynamic in that team a little bit. Um, but still technically a really good player. He's a um, really good attacking player. He's a really good attacking player. Um, he is... He's not quite... I, I would say that he's attacking, but not in the same sense as a Kolarov. So Kolarov is attacking in a kind of delivery-based way, whereas Kazar is more of a driving fullback. Yeah. Um, I don't know where he'll go. Presumably it'd be because he's on a free transfer, it'll be for a lot of a lot of money in terms of what what's, what's payable in wages. Um, so whether Roma want to match that, I don't know. My was, guess, a Premier League team takes a risk on him. Someone like a, a West Ham, someone like that, sort of sort of throws some money at him, and and that will probably sway his decision. But okay. worth looking at. Um, in the middle, could go back to Monaco. Could go back to Monaco. Yeah, although they've got um, uh, what's the name of their fullback at the moment? Uh, Henrik's on one side. Into uh, the into the mic. The one on the left is really good though, so I think he's going to be on his That's way the, out. Okay. Um, so I can't remember centre halves at Roma um, on the presumption that Chris Morling stays I think Chris Morling is a is more of a stopper as a centre half so I want to put some some technical attributes next to him um, so Phil Jones no 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 okay uh, I've got some one ambitious one which is Yere Alvarez who I think will probably be out of their reach um, Yere is a really interesting story actually he's actually he's recovered from cancer twice um, to resume his career, so he's um, you know he's been through some some pretty pretty brutal challenges already, um, but good one on one defender, like, a really good passer of the ball as well. He's got a lovely diagonal cross field pass, um, which I think would um, would compensate for what Smalling can't do. Um, and from there, I tried to kind of copy his profile a little bit, but maybe go for something a little bit cheaper. Ison Mandy. Uh, who's 27-28, is at Real Betis, um, Algerian international, won the uh, the Africa Cup of Nations with them recently. Um, very similar in profile to Yeri. He's a good one-on-one tackle again. He's got a nice diagonal, but also he's got a, um, interestingly, when he, when he gets around the penalty area, he's got a, a really nice creative and disguised, um, not quite cross, but one of those sort of shallow balls that sort of drops in just behind the defensive line. He can play that, which is nice. Um, and then one, a, a gratuitous free transfer again. Uh, Nacho will be available for Real Madrid on a free transfer in the summer. Um, so that's an interesting one. Uh, I'm still not quite sure how good a player Nacho is. I don't know whether I'm seduced by the fact that he's played for Real Madrid alongside Sergio Ramos and is just a bit of a name or whether he's a capable player. I guess we'll see in the summer depending on the calibre of teams that pursue him. Okay. Well, uh, Elliot Zabala, hope that has answered your question. Thank you to Seb and to Alex, and we will be back next week, presumably with more of the same. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. My name 
is Sharzad Kiade. I'm a Gemini pescatarian, a mom of two wild little boys. I'm Susan Yara. I'm a mom of two also. This morning, I went to the bathroom alone. I woke up at five, put my boob in her mouth, and then she took a dump. Because that's what she uses me for. <laughs> that's what you're going to hear a lot of our stories and experiences in our crazy journeys to motherhood. It's fam for all moms, not for all dads, not fathers and moms, for all moms. It's going to be a good old time. You guys are going to want to stick around. Promise. So subscribe.